This is the Jump Clear Daily Fantasy Podcast. Catch us Tuesdays and Thursdays with your host, Michael Cruciati. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Jump Clear Daily Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, Michael Cruciati, and boy, do we have a show for you today. We have an outstanding guest speaker today, and we're going to get through the weekend recap pretty quickly because our conversation with our guest today is outstanding, and we want to give it the most time that we can. So without further ado, we're going to run through the weekend recap really quick here. We had events from Traverse City all the way down to Weco Kella in their inaugural three-star Grand Prix, as well as a few things in Europe. So the high-level wins this week in Traverse City. Bayot Mandley takes the win in the three-star Grand Prix. And Laura Balcombe takes home the three-star inaugural win at the Weck Ocala Grand Prix. We watched both of them. They were actually <laughs> some great show jumping. Both horse shows had a great offering. The, the course designers did a really good job in having a good, difficult class, but not too difficult. They had great numbers of jump-offs. And, you know, for WEC having their first International Grand Prix, it was great to watch. Uh, great commentary by Alan Karakin and Katie Stazak, and just a, a wonderful broadcast. So we're really looking forward to this week as they have their second three-star. And this week is going to be quite a week for Jump Clear. We have a huge app release coming out on Thursday that, you know, I think you all will enjoy. So... That will be coming out Thursday along with some other great updates and some fun marketing. But without further ado, we're going to jump right into our interview today. Our guest is a true equestrian entrepreneur. Not only is she a full-time college professor, but she is also the publisher of the Plaid Horse magazine, author of the Show Strides book series, creator of several equestrian-specific college-level courses, host of the Plaidcast. And she's also an avid horseback rider, enjoying the rounds and the amateur owner hunters. It is my honor to welcome Piper Clem. Piper, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Michael. Oh my gosh. It's, it, I've really been looking forward to this conversation because we've had many conversations about the show jumping industry, riding, what's going on. And I think really now is a such a great time to have this because I think that our industry really is at a crossroads at the moment. You see so many great things happening in the upper levels with these new competitions popping up, everybody having an FEI event, but I feel that we're missing quite a bit of what really is the basis of our industry. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, I, I think for a long time, we haven't focused on grassroots because it, it's less glamorous or, you know, whatever, whatever the exact reason is. And um, I love local horse shows. I, um, I judge a lot of local horse shows all over the country. I love how much people are open to learn and excited and happy to horse show. Um, and then, you know, of that, we have this, you know, we used to, the old system was that people started showing locally. And then when they were ready, they did bigger and bigger horse shows. Um, the model completely changed um, with Thomas Rosary and with the hits model originally, and it was genius. He made a, a double a um, high level horse show that eventually had a million dollar Grand Prix that you could also do the two foot division or the beginner rider division or mm -hmm. anything, you know, trainers, it became a business. Trainers mm -hmm. could bring their entire barn to the same horse show and it made everyone feel important and everyone feel special. And 
I totally think that everyone should feel valued and special. So there's so many, there's so many parts of this I agree with, but then that kind of um, dried up support for, for local shows. Mm -hmm. um, we had another thing with, with IEA, um, the Interscholastic Equestrian Association, which is a wonderful program. Um, when they started about 20 years ago, USEF and USHA didn't didn't want to engage, didn't want to work with them, didn't see the value in it. And um, now IEA has more members than USHA. <laughs> um, funny how that works. <laughs> funny how, you know, giving the people what they want. But I, I also think that the, the sad part is for a community aspect is it kind of eroded um, the schooling shows even more because a lot of people who locally would do schooling shows are, are now doing IEA, which it was, you know, that again, so many, so many conflicting things happened <laughs> at the same right. time. There's so many great things. And I think IEA is great. Um, but further eviscerated this like kind of local level, BC level. And, and now it's hard to find those shows. Um, yeah. You know, you need a small R to judge them. I, I was having this discussion with someone the other day um, who has their small R and they can't, um, you have to judge a certain number of horse shows as a small R to be eligible for a large R, which makes complete sense, mm -hmm. except unrated shows like IEA. And I just say, don't count. So there aren't actually, it's hard <laughs> to find a show where you can use your, even use your small R. And, um, and so then we have people moving up the pipeline really quickly, um, which, you know, in this sport, if, if you have a lot of time to devote to your craft and becoming mm -hmm. a, a, an excellent rider and a lot of money to to back that you can move up the ranks pretty quickly mm -hmm. but then it leads to a lot of people who you know haven't figured out a lot of things but have moved up the ranks pretty quickly which, which creates some interesting dynamics yeah it, it, it's really i've used this kind of scenario uh or even mindset if you will of comparing it to football where when you go into a football game it, you're paying your ticket you're you're watching tv you're paying your subscription to watching that football game they're not what they're not charging the NFL football players admission to go play the game where in our industry, it's almost reverse is that they're charging the riders to really support the entire industry. And you get the ones at the higher end level that can afford to really do it three, four horses. And then you're kind of leaving the, the local shows out to dry a little bit. And I, I, I think that there's a time now where we can actually shift that and bring in that engagement. And I remember you telling me you went up to Spokane, Washington for a local show and you said that the engagement was outstanding. Every localized show I go to all over the country, um, the engagement is outstanding. Um, I generally judge, uh, you know, around 10, maybe eight to 12 um, local horse shows um, a year and people are so excited to spend time with their horses and be there and learn and um and it's such a great atmosphere and you know i i understand that rated shows serve different a purpose um and and i totally agree that like something like devon or something <laughs> should be tense and and mm -hmm. competitive as sin and then i love i love that competition but i also think that something's a little bit lost when when we're acting like that about the lower level divisions at an average rated show, you know, being competitive as sin over, you know, the two foot hunters at, at mm -hmm. WEF seems a little missing the point. Right, right. And it, I mean, the industry is big enough to handle every, every level. 
and not just say that there isn't a place for WEF and Devin or the local shows. One's not better than the other. But I think that they have to be looked at as equal because that person is still a member of the industry and they should have the opportunity, maybe not showing, but they should have the opportunity to be a part of it. Absolutely. And that person is a, more importantly, a fan of the sport. They're watching the top riders. They're going to spectate. They're sitting in the stands um, at these big shows. And I think um, really embracing that, that difference, you know, people who have a horse at home and enjoy horses, but, but at the high level, they're a fan of the sport and everyone doesn't need to aspire, you know, it doesn't make sense for most people, time-wise, ability-wise, you know, other constraints, family, etc. wise to just drop everything and go show on the circuit and ride, you know, 10 horses a day, and some of them are dangerous. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, but everyone can be a fan of our sport. And I think if we embrace every person who loves horses and loves the sport, we would have a lot more fans. Um, but I also think, um, have you do you know what Good Arts Law is? Uh, no, actually. So it's from this, I think it's from like the 70s, um, from this British economist um, who named it after himself, as many do. <laughs> um, and it's that when the measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. Mm. So if you think of that in the context of a lot of things like, um, you know, indoors was originally like top 15 shows to originally, it still is top 15 horse shows to qualify in the hunters. So originally like your top 15 horse shows would bring the best of the best to indoors. But then when the measure became the target and people started targeting having 15 top horse shows, mm -hmm. it ceases to be a good measure, you know, and by and large, a lot of these systems work, but I feel like so much of people are so smart and have analyzed our sports so well and have such great knowledge on the metagame that they have made a lot of the measures we have historically used in our sport. Um, like ha they have basically invalidated them. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think, you know, you know, you think about like bad measures, right? Like, um, like a bad measure would be like, oh, you, um, you ride as well as how high you jump. So if you jump five feet and I jump three feet, you are mm. a better rider than me. Mm, um, true. You know, that's a point where like a measure becoming a target ceased to be a good measure. Like it could be true. Um, and, and I think we've, we've by and large started measuring the wrong things. And then we have these like mega industry, big box horse shows that expect mm -hmm. people to travel to them from all the only way that one of those huge horse shows can work is if people travel from literally all over. Right. And then we sit here and wonder why when multiple of these big box horse shows are going at the same time, you know, the FEI division is diluted between right. all of them. Right. And I also, I, I, I love that kind of theory that you just brought up because it also explains, in my opinion, I mean, growing up a horse trainer's son is that we've almost utilized the trainers as the measure where if you're not a born into the industry, you don't have that intrinsic knowledge of horses when really that's not the case. I think people truly underestimate how much they can learn in this sport and not in a year. Um, I think that's a quote from like uh, Bill Gates or something else. So fact check me on that. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's something like people overestimate what they can learn in a year and underestimate what they can learn in 10 years. Um, and and I, I truly believe that. I, I think people underestimate how much they can take control of their own experience and, and how much they can know about the sport 
in 10 years, but 10 years is so long and so mm-hmm. hard. And, you know, and, and, and you say here on like the odds that like someone has a family emergency and you have to walk away or life circumstances change or, um, you know, you're not in physically able to be outside in the elements 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 10 years is a really long <laughs> time in this sport, but if you can figure out um, if you can use your metagame there to figure out how to stay in it for 10 years, you can learn so much about this sport. And, and I think a lot of people get frustrated or don't see progress. And, and I mean, I'm one of those people like I was, you know, I spent a lot of the last 10 years frustrated about seeing progress. But but it is truly amazing how much this sport has op- opens up as you just keep putting in the years. Yeah. And it, and it's also about asking great questions. I was talking to my wife about this a, a while back and I mean, she's trained with trainers her whole life. And, you know, as she's gotten more mature in her career, she's asking a lot more questions and not just to the same people, but the vets, the other trainers that she's friends with my, her mother-in-law, my mother, you know, looking at it, not just that you have to be in one camp in order to gain information, but asking the people that have been in this, and a lot of them are willing to share that information. It's just, it's, it's a matter of feeling comfortable enough to go up and ask them. And they have, the trainers have to feel that it's, you're not trying to take something from them. It, it's, you're not trying to find their, their way of doing it right. And, and so you don't have to train with them. That's not the point. The point is, is that you're asking great questions on ways that they would do it. And I think that really seeing my wife excel in that and just asking great questions, I think a lot of other people can, can could benefit from that. Absolutely. And, and, and going to them and, and showing up and, and watching, um, you know, I, I think so many people are afraid to get in the car, or, you know, that a trip might be a waste or something. And, and I, I've never been afraid that a trip might be a waste. Um, I just yesterday on my day off visiting my husband's family (laughs) did a seven hour round trip (laughs) to um you know go (laughs) because someone called and said you know there might be an opportunity like come check it out and um and I hopped in the car um I I love non-horse people my husband's parents were um were like oh I was like we're gonna leave early you know, to me, early means five. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they were like, oh, like, do you think you'll leave by seven? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll definitely leave by seven. <laughs> we'll definitely leave by seven. Um, it's amazing. Like, they're like, you're really going to work on a Sunday? You forget what, like, civilians are like. <laughs> right, there's a day off? What? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. <laughs> but I, th- I think people are afraid of that. I think the bigger thing um, about asking questions too is and and you said um about your wife like being at a more mature phase i think a big part of asking questions is being ready to listen and ready for the answers um Mm -hmm. i was um in my husband's office the other day because he has air conditioning and i don't (laughs) um and so i had someone call me and and he's kind of sitting there like just listening um and it it was uh, a student who wanted to kind of do an informational interview um, about careers and that kind of stuff. And I love to do that kind of stuff. And she had a list of questions, which is great. She was prepared, which is great. But every question I would kind of ask her like a follow-up question at the end, or like, you know, try to relate it to something else. And she didn't even wait for the answer to be done. She didn't engage with any of my follow-up questions. She was already off and running on asking the next question. Mm -hmm. And I think, bringing it back to Goodert's law, like when the measure becomes a target, I think when, when 
some people, when they're told to ask questions all the time, they listen, which is great, and they start asking questions all the time, but they kind of check the box in their head when they've asked the question. Whereas like you truly need to engage and think about the answer. Like if you want some, an expert's advice, um, don't exhaust your mentors. That's a huge thing um, mm -hmm. that I would advise everyone. Um, don't exhaust your mentors and, and really think when they give the answer, walk away and think about it for a long time. Give them the respect of really, truly engaging and you don't have to agree with them. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who show me and tell me how to do things. And, and I don't, they're not how I would choose to do it, but like really that understanding and that thinking about it. And um, I keep a notebook all the time to the point where like, I will, <laughs> I'll say, I'll be like, oh yeah, like you said that to me in like 2016. <laughs> <laughs> go back in the Rolodex. Oh, yep. Yep. I remember that. Yep. yep I remember that. Um, I go back and read my notes. It's not just enough to keep a notebook. You have to go back and like review your notes. Um, I have a notebook that I review every time because I, I ride sporadically. That's how I, I handle my own riding. Um, and so I have like often long time chunks between when I sat in the saddle last, when I sit in the saddle again, I, mm -hmm. I, before I get back in, I review all my videos. I review the things I was working on in the last lesson. I review all the concepts, you know, so I'm not wasting anyone's time, including my horses. Right, right, right. I mean, you only get so much time in the tack and especially the trainer's time and the horses. I mean, the horse is not a motorcycle. You can't just put gas back in it and keep going. It's the, every minute that you're doing something with it is important. And it's just like learning a musical instrument. If, if you're not taking the time to understand the concepts behind it, then you're, you're really wasting time. And I, I remember when I was playing college football is that we only had so many hours to practice. And yeah, practices are long and hard and just like in horseback riding, when your trainer asks you to drop your stirrups and we're going to do a flat lesson today, that time in the ring is so important and you don't realize it till afterwards. And I think the journal is a, a great tool and just mentally logging down. What did I do? Right. What did I do wrong? What is a way that I can tweak this so that tomorrow when I come back and have that chance to fix it, that I do. And then you also start to see the coach or the trainer realize that, oh, this person really is taking this serious and I would want to invest in that person. And I, I, it, this is kind of maybe throwing it out there, but I saw that a lot with my sister and some of these other top young riders that didn't grow up with a ton of means when other trainers see that these kids are willing to do extra, not, not just in the barn and cleaning stalls, but really taking upon themselves to be students of the game, they're more willing to give them that extra ride or that chance to ride that horse in the ring. And I think that a lot of the kids need to realize that these days, that they can actually chart their own course because there are people that are willing to watch and, and, and support them. Absolutely. And I think a big part of that is, is being present. Like I have people every day who are like, can I catch ride this pony at pony finals? And I'm like, well, you can come to the barn and start working <laughs> Let's <laughs> and, start like, there. and see where it goes. Um, first of all, like at the end of the day, if you want this to be your career and you're not well-funded, the horses that people will want to pay you to ride are not the horses you want to ride. <laughs> like <laughs> <That's> hard, <true. laughs> hard stuff there. Um, and at the end of the day, I think like people underestimate being present. And that means like literally being there and not being on your phone and watching and paying attention. You know, I can't tell you how much opportunity I've had just from 
being at the horse shows with with nothing planned or, or you know no no opportunity in sight and and something happening and and maybe I wasn't even the best person um, for right. whatever it was whether it's riding or something else or journalism or covering a class or you know the horse show needed help with something you know maybe I'm not the person they would hire but just like physically being there um, and again being willing to get in the car and when when stuff came up or people were willing to you know, give me an exclusive, especially early on. I mean, I literally just hopped in the car. I mean, there were times where like in the beginning of the business where like, I literally had no money Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh my God, if I don't sell something on this trip, (laughs) like I can't like fill my gas tank to get home. Um, (laughs) I would sleep in my car. Um, and like, cause these unplanned trips and nothing was organized and, but opportunity called and, and I didn't know how it was going to go, but I showed up anyways. And I think so many people don't top riders. They all get hurt. You know, they all have bad days. They all feel sick some days. Like mm-hmm. if you are around the people you want to be around and working as hard on whatever is helpful to them as you can every day and, and can get yourself into one of these positions where you're truly useful. First of all, if you're truly useful, you know, you will always have a place wherever you are. And be truly useful and be there, you know, a lot of opportunity can come your way. Right. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about it. Like I don't ride horses, but I found my little niche in this industry just because I was there and present. And it, I have a funny story about it. I, this was a few weeks ago and I was watching my wife's horse at one of the little local web shows they have here at the summer. And you can always go and tell the, the horse show boyfriends because <laughs> they're, they're just walking around with nothing to do. And I went up to one and I was like, Hey, are you a, you a horse show boyfriend? He's like, yes. He's like, are you bored? Yes. I'm so bored. But then it got me realizing that there's always something that you can find to do to be a part of what's going on. And that's kind of when I really realized what daily fantasy could be in the, in the horse world is that it could be that way to engage a horse show boyfriend that doesn't really want to be there, but is there for support, even though you don't ride horses or you do, there's, you just got to be present and something's going to come along. You know, and I think by and large, that is something that that kind of community feel is, is what some horse shows do, do better than others. I think there are a lot of horse shows you can go to that kind of no one talks to you and you feel really isolated, but it's like hard to like engage with people or feel like you belong. Um, And I think that those are some of the most isolating things. And I look at something like, you know, I, I was in a fantasy football league for many years. I just actually quit like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, no. I always said, I always said that when I won, I would quit and I finally won. I, you got to hold it up. I mean, you got to go yeah. out on top. Yeah. I, I always wanted to go out on top and I lost, like there were like two years where I was second place, like in overtime, like I was so close, <laughs> but I couldn't not win. Um, because remember I said that I'm sinfully competitive. Um, yeah. So I finally wanted to quit. And, and this is where also it kind of lost its magic during COVID was because we did get together and we did, you know, trash talk and we did like discuss and we had people of various, you know, football watching ability levels. Um, and it was fun and it was social and it was a community-based event. And, you know, usually we like quoted things from the league TV show as well. And like, <laughs> you know, we're able to like tie in interests. And I think that, because people are so focused and, and so focused on winning. And yes, it's a competition. You should be focused on winning, but 
what what truly is impactful to us as as human beings first and competitor second is that we have community and we have relationships and I, I think that having the opportunity to have people relate to each other I mean I, I just remember like informal pools over over the Grand Prix or something I mean it's always it's always fun and it's always fun to have something on the line and to have stakes and I, I watch so many Grand Prix and I, I cover so many Grand Prix where I like truly do not care who wins. <laughs> it's just the joy of it and the people that you get to go watch it with or someone, if yep. you're covering it, the, the photographers that are there, or even yep. if you're there just hanging out and just being able to watch it. And I think this really comes back to the original uh, comment and breaking down that barrier to entry, that you don't have to be a horse expert to enjoy this. And this is when I really started to jump in on this. Um, it was a several years back and my, my good friend, uh, Niall Nasser also saw this as well. Numbers are a great way to engage people because they're universal. It, you don't have to be uh, a 10 year trainer that is going to the metal McClay every year with their students to understand a horse jumps clear 52% of the time. Right. And once you started to break down that barrier, it opened up so many interesting things and conversations. Absolutely. There's some people that my good friends, for example, from college, they they don't know what horse is going in the Grand Prix with McLean Ward is any more than, than I know uh, (laughs) a physics problem. It's, it's one of those things, but I tell you what, when they had money on the line and they understood that this rider jumped clear X percent of the time, they watched that entire class. No matter what. Well, how many football games did I watch? Because <laughs> I needed to make sure that <laughs> I was going to win this year. Well, Piper, thank you so much for your time today. You can follow Piper online at The Plaid Horse on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on The Plaidcast. I, I can't wait to uh, listen to the next episode. When's the next episode coming out? Uh, every Friday. Awesome. Great. Well, Piper, have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, yes, we'll have a great have a great week. Thanks for having me, Michael. So cool to have that conversation with Piper and uh, be sure to truly check out the Plaidcast this Friday for the next episode. There will also be little pieces of our discussion on it as well that you didn't hear on this podcast. So anyway, get out there, go enjoy your week. It's also the lead up to the 4th of July week. We have some outstanding horse shows going on. Invite your friends to the app, place your picks, and as always, claim your podium. Jump Clear Fantasy is a fantasy sports platform. Gambling or sports wagering are not permitted on Jump Clear Fantasy. Available to play in Colorado, Florida, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alaska, and South Dakota only. Users must be physically located in Colorado, Florida, Kentucky, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alaska, or South Dakota. Must be 18 years or older for entertainment purposes only. No results are guaranteed. Void where prohibited by law. Users are participate on Jump Clear Fantasy. Agree to terms and conditions. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700.